right, get your Bibles out, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Um, this is known uh, generally as the parable of the sower. But I would, I would say that this parable in Matthew chapter 18, and it's found in Mark and it's found in Luke also, but I, I would say that this parable is more a parable of the soil. A parable of the soil. And so um, I, want us to, I want us to dive into here. I, I, um, I, I hope that this will be an encouragement and a blessing. And I'll fast forward just a little bit. The thrust of tonight's message is going to be one that encourages us to, to share the gospel. And it encourages us as witnesses for Christ. And, and as, we, as we go through the passage, I hope that that illuminates a little bit to you and we see that. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read the first three verses together. The Bible says this, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Jesus here is speaking in a very common language to his audience, sitting by the Galilean Sea. Jesus uh, could even probably have pointed to one of many fields where a farmer was sowing seed for that season's crop. And he engaged his listeners on a level that they could understand. And Jesus always starts with something that they can understand, and he moves to something that they don't understand. He begins with something that they see, and then he moves to something that they cannot see. He starts with something that's natural, and then he moves to the supernatural. He starts with what is material and moves to the spiritual. He starts with what is common, and he moves to what is uncommon. And so Jesus is doing that here with, with the audience as he is in the ship, and he has many standing on the seashore. He can point to a field, and he says, A sower, a farmer went forth to sow. They understood that. And so Jesus then starts with what is simple, and then later in his, in his discourse, he moves to what is profound. And that's what he did here. Because those that were his audience, they understood sowing. They did it all the time. They were part of an agricultural society, and so they were familiar with the principle of sowing and, and reaping and planting seed and gathering. Now, what they didn't understand is they didn't understand spiritual truth. And so what Jesus did was, Jesus began where they were, and he took them to where they hadn't been. And so he began, he began in a, uh, an inert, inert conversation, a common a conversation that they could all connect with, and then he moved to a spiritual truth. And the language in the story is, is, is filled right down to every word um, with profound spiritual meaning, but it all begins with a common conversation. So it starts off, the story begins in, in verse 3, Before, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Pretty simple, right? So it's simple. It's a farmer whose responsibility was to sow seed in his plowed field went forth just to do exactly that. The rows of the field had already been furrowed and plowed and prepared to receive the seed. And he would probably have a leather sack hanging over his shoulder and he would take the seed in his hand 
and he would walk down the row, and he knew the distance, and he knew the pace and the cadence of it all, and he would drop a seed, take a step back, drop a seed, drop a seed. He was very familiar with what he was doing. He was proficient. He was proficient in this. He would measure out a step, and, uh, and by experience, he knew exactly how long each step should be. And he would go all the way down to one end of the furrow, and then he would turn around, and he would come back to the next and continue that until he'd sown all the seed in that prepared field. And so that sets up the parable. And they were very used to seeing that, and so this wasn't a stretch it wasn't a stretch at all. And so we notice that the seed in the story that Jesus tells could fall in four different types of soils. First of all, look in verse 4. Verse 4, he says, He sowed, and some seeds fell by the wayside. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured it up. Or he sowed those seeds literally on the road. And so if you've ever if you've ever uh, gardened or, or been in an agricultural setting, you recognize that the area uh, in which you walk is, 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 is firm and it's solid and it's padded down, but the area in which the seeds are sown it needs to be broken up ground. It needs to be a softer, softer ground. And so the, the seeds in this, in verse 4, were being dropped on this dry, hard, uh, hard beaten path almost like concrete. It would just lay there. Verse 4 says the birds would come and eat it. In any case, it never penetrated the soil whatsoever. So the wayside is the first, is the first soil that we see there. Verses 5 and 6 say this, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depthness of earth. And when the sun came up, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. They were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And so he talks about the second type of soil being stony soil. And what that means uh, is that there were stones in, in the ground. I remember uh, I, I did lunch today with Dennis, and Dennis, I, the story that I, uh, I remembered is after we had met for lunch was when I worked on a farm up in Clinton County, um, we would, uh, one big task would be, uh, one of the many tasks that was monotonous and ongoing would be uh, that we would, every year, harvest stones and rocks from the fields. It's amazing that, that a field can generate that many stones and rocks that, that come up every year. Wyatt probably knows what I'm talking about, that the never-ending. And I remember, I remember as a high school kid, 15, 16, 17 years old, uh, each spring after tilling the fields, but prior to planting, uh, we would spend uh, days picking up uh, what seemed to be a perennial harvest of rocks every single year, and rocks that the frost had heaved up to the surface of the soil to be gathered. It seemed never-ending, and they could only be picked up by hand, and I spent many a day harvesting rocks behind, uh, it was probably a, a 40-20 or a 30-20 a John Deere tractor pulling a trailer, and I would put the tractor in the lowest gear pulling the trailer, and I would, uh, and I would, take, a, um, uh, I would take a rope and I would tie off the steering wheel, and, and the, the, the tractor would pull that trailer, and I would pick up stones and throw it on the trailer the whole time. When we'd get to the end of the field, if it needed to be righted or whatever, I'd hop up in the tractor and straighten it out. But that was all day. These, the field was, was full, of, full of rocks. 
And you seem like you never really get them all. And obviously some stones could be missed. But, but when the Bible speaks of when Jesus was telling the story, he was speaking about a field that was stony, that there were stones and rocks in the field. And when the seed fell upon those kind of places, uh, it would burrow down into the ground, but it wouldn't have much soil. And then immediately they would spring up because they had no depth of soil. And so you see what happens when... Um, the seed goes down into the soil, it germinates, and it begins to sprout. And the warmth and the moisture of the soil, it sends its roots down, but its roots hit rock. And so there's no depth at all to the roots. And when the roots hit the rock bed, they can't go anywhere. And so the force and the energy moves upward, and the, and the, the plant would spring to life and grow, grow taller at a more rapid rate than normal. Uh, making the farmer assume that this is a healthy plant. But the, back, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, it isn't because the roots desperately need the water that is down beneath, but they can't penetrate the rock to get it. And so verse 6 says, When the sun comes up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, it withered away. And the moisture, was, uh, the moisture that was initially in the plant evaporated in the hot, in the hot sun, and so the, the, plant, uh, the plant would burn up and die and was unproductive. And so you have, the, you have the wayside, and you have the stony ground. And then we see in verse 7, we see the weedy soil. Uh, verse 7 says this, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And this is the third type of, third type of soil here. Uh, it, was, it was the thorns. The, 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 the thorns and the weeds that were in the soil. You know, one of the things that you do when you plant a garden is that you till it in order to get rid of the, the weeds, right? To get all the weeds out. And nothing's more pretty. I love in the springtime when the farmers come, come through and they, they, they've, already, um, they've already prepared their fields in the fall and they prepare them again in the spring and to see those fields ready ready to plant it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing um it's it's dark and it's smooth and it seems to be uh, free of clumps and rocks and weeds but what's deceptive is is that when you've tilled up the ground it tills the weeds down into the ground and there's plenty of of seeds that are underneath the ground that aren't seen that are beneath this the the, uh, the surface of the ground and so what happens when the spring temperatures increase and some rains, those seeds are germinated. And that field that was clear and clean will start popping up weeds, uh, will start popping up weeds. And they grow fast. And weeds will compete with the plants that are actually there uh, that are the productive plants. And so there's a competition that takes place and they'll, they'll rob the, the plants of moisture and rob the plant of nutrients of the desired crop. And so that hinders or starve the plants. Then lastly, the fourth type of soil. We're going someplace with this. Remember, this is, this is the simple part. This is where Jesus is speaking in their terms. This is where Jesus is telling a, a story of agricultural illustration that they completely understand. He highlights the four different types of of soil. And so the, the last type of soil that he highlights in verse 8, it says this, it says, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, and some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some, some thirtyfold. And so Jesus says that there, was, that there was good ground that brought forth fruit. This is deep, soft, rich, clean, 
maybe not over there, but over here we would say that's a loamy soil. And the yield varies maybe due to variations in temperature and nutrients and pH and these type of things, but the yield is significant and so it produces, it produces a good, good crop. So the summary of the parable, the initial part of the parable is this. The simple part is this. The parable is very simple. Some seeds fall on hard paths. It can't germinate at all. It's either picked up by birds or crushed by people who walk. Some seeds fall on rocky ground that allows the, the, uh, it to germinate or spring up for a little while, but then it doesn't, roots can't hold the water because there's no depth and it dies. Seeds fall on weedy ground that is, there seems to be a little more pro productivity from the plant itself, but it's choked out many times by, by weeds. And then some falls on good soil and it bears fruit. So Jesus tells this simple illustration, and then in verse 9, he says this, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Which is another way of saying, do you guys have any idea of what I just said? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Go down to verse 18. After telling them how privileged they were to have these explanations, which he had to give to, to them and not to the crowds, he says this in verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. I've told you, I've given you these illustrations about, about the ground, about the soil. Now hear this parable. He says in verse 18. Let me tell you what I've just said. Let me tell you what I've tried to say in this story. Let me tell you uh, from that thing which is obvious something profound. And of course, you know, people would have recognized, yeah, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And he says, no, we're talking about something spiritually. And so he, so he, interprets, the, he interprets the parable so that they will understand. In the story, there are only three components. There's, there's three components. You have the sower, you have the seed, and you have the soil. That's it. Now, the parable doesn't say anything about the sower, right? It says nothing about the sower. It just says that the sower went forth to sow. And it doesn't say anything about the seed in the parable. But we can we can find out somewhere uh, elsewhere. Look in verse 37. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of God. So we can conclude that the one that sows the seed initially is the Lord himself. But we can go beyond that because we're given the charge beginning in the book of Acts to be the sowers as well. And so by delegation, the sowers are us. And the question is, what is the seed? Verse 19 uh, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then it goes on. So the word of the kingdom and the word of God is the seed, okay? I know this is elemental, but this is important that we, that we understand the focus here of the, of the passage. And so the sower is anyone that preaches the message. So we're like the sower, and the seed is the gospel that originated from God. So the seed is the gospel, the sower is us that are commanded to, to, to witness and to, and to give the gospel out. And so the parable is all about sowing seed. The parable is all about presenting the gospel, the good news of salvation. So what's the emphasis in the soils? The emphasis in the soils very quickly is verse 19. When anyone that heareth, pardon me, uh, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth it away, catches, catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he, this is he which received seed by the wayside. In verse 19, the soil had never been plowed up. 
It was hard. It was dry. It was, it was crushed upon. The seed was thrown onto the road. It was, it was hard. It, it can't absorb it. The seed can't penetrate it. This is the heart of the person that's heard the preaching of the gospel and has rejected it over and over. And there's this opportunity for Satan then to move in. In one little picture, this analogy is powerful. This is the heart that has become the footpath of sin day after day after day. It's never been broken up. It's never been softened by Holy Spirit conviction. It's never been softened by repentance. Never been softened by self-searching. The heart grows callous. The judgments of the Lord are not frightening. The love of the Lord isn't even appealing. The seed is alive. The, the, the sower is good, but the heart is unplowed. The heart is unplowed. And there's a hardness, there's a hardness to many people's hearts. And in particular, I don't think this is something specific to our day and time, but certainly in 2024, there's a good, a good number of people whose heart is just the footpath of sin. And that their heart is hardened against anything, uh, even, even remotely uh, Godward or the Bible or Christianity. And so there's a hardness that will not receive anything. Now this reminds me, this reminds me of the people to whom Jesus came. And during Jesus' three years of ministry, he broadcast seed everywhere, everywhere that he was. He was speaking the, the gospel of the kingdom. And he invited them to come into his kingdom, and they were so hard that they killed him. And so this is this is that sort of that's this is that sort of heart. Just an unrepentant, uh, hardened heart toward anything to do with God. So we see the unresponsive heart, number one. Number two, look at verses 20 through 21. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. He hath, he, pardon me, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for, for a while, and when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, He's offended. Now, the second type of soil that we see in verses 20 and 21 is the rocky soil. This, is, this, is, uh, this picture is so clear. This is the person uh, who has a shallow faith. On the surface, on the surface uh, when maybe they had a, an experience, they would say, wow, this is great. I'm all in. I'm on the team. Um, where do I sign up? I like this. This is wonderful. Bursting with excitement. Um, about their, their faith. But may I, may I warn you about something, encourage you maybe more apropos, that excitement is not the distinguishing factor of true salvation. That's not a distinguishing factor. Uh, because, because why? Because people get happy about a lot of stuff. Right? Um, I remember when Kroger, when Kroger started carrying their knockoff Girl Scout cookies uh, I love those little Samoa things, the Samoa cookies. And when I was thrilled to death, you asked Missy, I was thrilled to death. I, I came back from the cookie aisle, which I don't typically go to. I came back with like three boxes and I said, they're carrying these. Not, I can have these 12 months of the year. So people get excited about a lot of stuff. People get excited about, I'm learning that people get really excited about pickleball. Pickleball is a big thing, right? Um, people get so excited that some people go through the wall when they're playing pickleball. Uh, people get excited about disc golf. Um, 
I was really excited about going skiing the other day, Jim. Super excited. Grant had a, a field trip for his eighth grade class, and, and so some of us dads went along, and man, I was really looking forward to it. Um, and I've, been, I've never, I'd never snow skied, I'd never done it, and I was super excited to get there, and I was zealous about learning, and I, I put all the equipment on, and, uh, and I got out there, and I'm terrible at it. And I gave up, before, I think before I even got to the bunny hill, I think just in the training part, I had fallen so many times that I just gave up. I gave up. And my instructor, bless her heart, she was a sweetheart uh, of an older lady that she was, you know, she was just skiing around like she was uh, like a professional. And uh, she was talking down to me, and she was like almost like, you know, patronizing me. And I just told her, I said, hey, listen, uh, I just can't do this. So I was excited. So people get excited. People get excited about these things. Um, now listen, joy is the reality of a true Christian. Understand that. Joy is the reality of a true Christian. But just exuberant emotional joy, excitement, enthusiasm doesn't necessarily indicate true faith. But you can... You can have joy without a real relationship to the king. The roots are really short. It's not necessarily the deep, thoughtful, profound joy of a devoted heart. It could just be superficial. And so in this story, the illustration is one that, that um, the person was maybe exuberant and excited, but there weren't any roots there. There weren't any roots. Not... Uh, I, I, it puts me in mind of a, you know, preacher has allowed the staff to wear different colors on Sunday other than white shirts. And so shortly before or shortly after I came on staff, this would have been September of 09, um, on a, I wore my white shirt on Sunday morning and I got something, I got probably got salsa or something on my white shirt. And then for uh, the Sunday evening service, I didn't have a clean white shirt. And uh, so I just grabbed like a light blue shirt or a shirt with a pattern, and I didn't think he would notice. And so I, I got, to the, got to the church, and I started to walk up on the, on, the, on the stage at the old place, and the preacher stops me, and he said, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I said, I'm just, I'm coming up to sit on the platform. He said, not with that shirt, you're not. And so he made me, and he doesn't remember that, and I don't know if he was just grumpy that day, or maybe he was just busting my chops, but, uh, but I wasn't dressed for the occasion. In the parable of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talked about a wedding feast for a king. Remember that story, that, that parable there? And this, uh, into the wedding feast come all these people, and some guy crashes the party without a particular garment. He didn't wear the wedding garment, and Jesus said, Jesus said we pitched him out. We threw him out of, of, the, uh, of the wedding. The garment represented righteousness, and there are a lot of people who want the party without the righteousness. And so an emotional feeling does not equate salvation. Certainly an emotional feeling does not equate steadfastness. And so there's debate on whether or not the, uh, the heart that's represented as the stony heart is one that's born again uh, or one that's, that's lost. And so uh, that's up for debate. People kind of think about that. Certainly the, uh, the, the wayside heart is, is unregenerate and unsaved, and the good soil is, is the one that represents that, the, the person that is born again. But anyway, I digress. Um, I, I've had people that I 
thought I had led to the understanding of the gospel. And I've even met them and met them and met them and met them and tried to disciple them and personally uh, invest into them. And they, they're gone. They, they disappear. And I couldn't see the rock down below either, but it was there. And eventually what happened was what looked like life, new life, born again, was just a brief spurt, but there were no roots. And so it couldn't go anywhere. And when the sun came out, it would scorch them. When tribulation would come out, it would scorch them. When they, put, when they faced pushback from family members about their newfound faith, they wilted. And can I determine whether or not they were born again? I can't. Only the Lord can. But certainly, uh, some folks never count the cost. They never realize that to be a Christian could cost you something. To be a Christian could cost you a relationship. You see, if the law, this is important, if, if the law of God has never plowed the stony heart and convicted the stony of heart, they've never felt the pain of God's plow banging into the rocks and the stones of the sin in their hearts, then their staying power is reduced. Does that make sense? They may have received the gospel in some superficial sort of soft act. And they, maybe they think that your religion's very easy, but what happens is they recognize that, that there's difficulty in the Christian life, and there's pushback, and they have an enemy. John chapter 6, Jesus is feeding the 5,000, but the next morning he started talking about himself and he's trying to talk about his kingdom. And by the time you come to the end of the sixth chapter of John, those who once called themselves disciples had turned their backs and deserted him. They were, they were gone. They were there for the show. They thought it was cool that Jesus could heal and he could produce food and all these, these miracles. And they, they were intrigued about that. They were fans of Jesus, but they weren't followers of Jesus. And so that's kind of illustrative of, of, of what this is. Moving along quickly, because I, I really want to get to uh, the, the, the concise point here. Verse 22, um, the Bible says this in verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. I would call this the preoccupied heart, the weedy ground. That's the man that hears the word with a receptive attitude, but the worry of the world, materialism, deceitfulness of money, chokes out the life that had begun to spring up uh, from the gospel seed. Uh, and the soil, uh, the soil appears good, and even maybe a certain sense of desperation, uh, but there's other stuff in there that's really never been cleaned out. Uh, this is the double-minded man who's unstable in all of his ways. Um, he's trying to serve God and trying to serve mammon, he, he, he is uh, consumed with worldliness, and he's ha he kind of has a, a foot in the canoe and a foot on the dock, and you know that's not going to work long. And so, um, and so, so that's, that's, that's this, the preoccupied heart. And by the way, let me say this, that, that when, when we talk about the, the weeds that are in our lives, the weeds that are in our hearts, um, they're natural, those weeds are natural. The good seed is not native to your heart. The weeds are native. They're the native plants. They live and they thrive there. They've acclimated and evolved there. They thrive without much tending to. 
as one that knows a little bit about, um, about plants and, and those type of things, I, I know that there are certain plants that just do better in Indiana. Uh, the eastern white pine thrives here. The red bud, by the way, we'll be seeing those red buds bloom soon, and that means that spring's almost here, right? The trumpet honeysuckle, coneflowers, goldenrods, all those are native, and these grow without cultivation or attention. Like the cares of the world and the weed of sin grows naturally in our heart. But what takes careful cultivation and tending to is the gospel and the way of living that way. But the good seed is alien to us and has been protected and cared for, and it has to be protected, cared for, and cherished. But the weeds are at home. And as long as weeds live, they grow. As long as weeds live, they grow. You keep pulling off the top, they get stronger in the roots. And eventually these weeds will thrive and take over and consume. And so that's why it's important as, as believers to constantly be, be pulling up those weeds by the root. And it, and it must take uh, the, uh, the, the gospel and it must take God's Holy Spirit to, to, to highlight those sins and highlight those, uh, the, those things that would choke out choke out the gospel. All right, lastly, and then, then I'll make a quick transition. Verse 23 is the well-prepared heart. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so that's the hopeful part of all this. This is the one that's the fruitful hearer. He understands the word. Mark 4, commenting on the same parable, says he receives the word. Luke says he receives or keeps the word. That's it. He hears it. He keeps it. He receives it. He takes the gospel in. There's genuine repentance. There's a genuine plowing of the Holy Spirit of God in his heart, plowing out those stones of sin. There's the preening of the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to remove those noxious weeds out of his former life. And there's some deep soil that can reach down, not a trodden down hard path of rebellion and resistance, but he produces fruit. He produces fruit. And what is the fruit? The fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All that's produced in your life. So those are the four types of soil. And let me draw this to a conclusion very quickly. What are the directions to the sower? This, this is where I want to park. What are the directions to the, so the sower? There are four different types of soil. You're the sower delegated by Christ in the book of Acts. You are the sower. The seed is the word of God. What are the directions? And this is what I wanted to say with all of this, because there's no discussion here of the sower. Any one of us will do. There's no discussion here of the seed, because the seed is the word of God. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, when it comes to sowing seed. So I, uh, I was, years ago when the kids were little, I was attempting to sow grass seed in, at, at our house when we lived over in Avon. And I was attempting to sow grass seed, and I, I had calculated how much grass seed that I needed and, and the area that it, would, that it would take, and my kids wanted to help. And so, you know, I would try to teach Ethan, Emma, and Grant how to help do that. And what did they do? They just put their grubby little hands in there and just, you know, just pitched it, right? They just, they just pitched it anywhere. Uh, they weren't careful with it. They just pitched it anywhere. But you want to know something. 
that when the seed hit the ground of the good soil, it didn't matter that it was thrown by my kids or by me. Listen, it's not the skill of the sower. When it comes to, when it comes to witnessing and sowing the gospel seed, it's not your skill. It's the state of the soil. And can I make a suggestion to you? The more seed you throw out, the more likely you are to hit good soil. And don't go through life with one seed saying, I'm looking for the right seed. I'm looking for the right soil. I'm looking for the right soil. If I could just find the good soil, I would put one seed down. God is doing something that we cannot do in the heart of the soil, of the listener, of the audience. And so as we take seed, it is imperative for us to throw seed to cast seed. And that means to be consistent with your witness. That means to, to cast seed at work. That means to cast seed in your neighborhood. That means to cast seed at the gas station, at the restaurant that you go to, in your family, your friends, through text, through cards, verbally, cast seed, throw seed, throw seed in every direction, not just looking for good seed. And that's what we're here to do. You say, I thought we were here to praise God. Yes, but we'll have all eternity to praise God. I thought we were here to live righteous lives. We struggle with that here, and it will be only when we're dead and in heaven that we accomplish complete righteousness. But the reason that we're left here and the thing that we can do here that we can't do there is to throw seed, is to be a gospel witness. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. I don't know where the good soil is, but it's there. And there's nothing more wonderful than being that sower when the gospel seed hits good soil. Uh, and that's what we do. And the disciples needed to know this because they were going to be rejected big time. And so the, the idea is this. Just throw seed. Just throw seed. Some's going to land on hard ground. That's not a waste. Some's going to land on stony ground. That's not a waste because why? Because you're being obedient. You're, you're casting seed. Some's going to land in uh, ground that looks good, but then the cares of the world are going to choke out the gospel. Just keep casting seed. And some, to God's glory, is going to land on good soil. But the more that you sow, the increased chances are that someone hears the word, receives the word, and keeps the word, and bears fruit. And so the question that I have is, what kind of courage do you have? It's unlikely that you'll be crucified. It's unlikely that you'll get burned at the stake. It's unlikely that you'll get thrown in prison or exiled to an island. How much, do you, how much courage do you have just to throw seed? You throw seed, ask God to plow the soil. You can't plow the soil either. Only God plows the soil. But pray that God will bring you across prepared soil. And if you're that hard soil or you're that rocky soil or that weedy soil, ask God to plow your heart. But my admonition tonight, my admonition tonight after all of that is just to throw seed. Many types of soil, you're going to be rejected. It's, it's not 
all going to result in in an incredible conversion, but that's not the job of the sower. The job of the sower is just to sow seed. Just to sow seed. Let God do the plowing. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the admonition given to us in the Word. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient in that. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be obedient individually in our witness. That we wouldn't wait for that we wouldn't wait for anyone else, anyone else to determine who to witness to. But then when we leave this place, that we, we go into the world like that sower with a leather pouch full of seed. May we be a good witness for you. In Christ's name, amen. All right. You are all dismissed. Have a good evening.